Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When played the Travis, I mean, it, it was kind of a thing where it, he wasn't necessarily supposed to do that, but after the timeout, we got to look at what the defense was doing. And he actually said it to me. He's like, hey, if they do it again, I'm going to take I'm gonna take it right down the middle between both the guys guarding me. And I told him I'm probably not going to run the, the route that, uh, that it's called. I'm just going to run to the open area. And uh, probably midway through his cadence, he was screaming at me at the line of scrimmage, do it. Like, <laughs> do it, do it. And I was just like, all right, here we go, boys. That is amazing to me, and I love it. It's amazing. You know why I love it? You know why I love it? Because there are so many people, whether they are in coaching, whether they're in front offices, whether they're in media, who want to create this mystical, complex sense that football is something that the mere mortal can't process and can't understand and can't even begin to comprehend. So don't even think about trying to take one of our jobs. You're never going to understand what we do. What we do has special powers and qualities and mental capabilities that you'll never possess. So don't even try. And then you just got a couple of guys that go out and play football. And, uh, you know, run to where the other team isn't. See an opening and, and take advantage of it. And couple with it on the fly. That's the equivalent of drawing it up in the dirt. They didn't even bother to take the time to draw it up in the dirt. They communicated. They adjusted. Do it. Do it. Greg Olson made the comment yesterday on Twitter that, that that's what they always taught him in Carolina. Run to where the other guys aren't. It's that simple. Sometimes. I'm not saying it's simple all the time. But sometimes it really is that simple, and sometimes it is that understandable, and sometimes it makes football kind of refreshing that, you know what, it is guys just out there going to the places on that 100-yard by 53-yard gridiron where the other guys aren't. 
No, I, I mean, it, that's what's refreshing about watching like Mahomes or Josh Allen. It's not that way always. You know, it's a, it's a game or a style to, I think, what you're talking about. We all can relate to because we just go, it's got a backyard feel. It's not always, it's got a backyard feel. It's not always like, you know, oh, I made the right read and I'm precise and surgical and we did everything right as an offense and schematical. It's what it is. There is that element to them that makes it a lot of fun. And I think it's, you know, Mike, to what you're saying a little bit, I think we saw that a little all across the league a little as close as this league is you know a lot of the differences in some of these games that were so close was just guys making some plays and that was special right there I mean they're double teaming him they got a guy inside they got a guy outside you know but they're going one's got them if he comes outside and then you know we'll squeeze on him the other one's way I got you if he comes inside and then we'll squeeze but they're not really expecting the vertical route there and that's what's really cool about both of them they just got a great feel for football and it doesn't need to always be about coaching and be that way and that's why the Chiefs are special there's no doubt you know even though there were only 13 seconds on the clock the Chiefs had all their timeouts there was no sideline that needed to be guarded they they had to and you've said this all the time with Mahomes you have to guard every blade of grass on the field and there is no time where it is more important to guard every blade of grass on the field than when there's 13 seconds left and all they need is a field goal to force overtime. If anyone is going to pull that off with with three timeouts in his pocket, it's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's right. Because look at what it took. Look at what it took. Look how quick the 19-yard gain to Tyree Kill went. I mean, because they couldn't, they couldn't prevent a 20-yard gain, they had to worry about getting burned over the top. Like, like Matt, not that they saw Matt. Maybe they did see the Matthew Stafford throw to Cooper Cup. I don't know. I, they probably, maybe they're in the locker room and they see the end of that game before they come out. Oh, I, I, they I just have watched no their idea. own quarterback throw a ball deep. But, and but they're they, going they, they know, yeah. they know, yeah. they know what's going on. No they know doubt. what could happen. So you, you have to concede that first twenty yards. Then it comes down to one play, and boom, there it was. And, and it, just, it just shows you how, how, when you have great players, how easy it can be. No, and uh, no doubt. I mean, great players, they got a great system. You know, they've played in so many big games, and they're just unfazed by the moments. That's the one thing. I mean, Mahomes has never been phased by any moment. I've never seen it, let alone now and the fact that he's won an MVP in a Super Bowl. And, you know, he's, he's beaten teams like the Patriots and came back from 10 points down in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. It just, uh, that's where, yes, there's a certain magic about them. And, and you're right. I mean, the Bills were in a tough situation, but they certainly could have handled that last play differently. That's where McDermott's going to kick himself. But I think, you know, to your point and what you're trying to say, yeah, something we talk about all the time. It's not as easy as it sounds because you got a guy like Mahomes where, hey, yeah, we know they got their timeouts and they could throw the ball, you know, down the middle of the field. But you got to be careful because you got a kind of guy that could go, okay, now we protected the middle of the field. Oh, crap, he threw a 25-yard out route, and the wide receiver got a few more yards. And now, oh, no, they might have a chance to actually, who knows, take a crack at the end zone, anything. So they are trying to protect things like that. This, to me, is where they messed up, as we've talked about yesterday. You know, uh, sky kick, kick the ball to the five-yard line, make the return take six, seven seconds off the clock. That was their most egregious mistake. And then this one right here, and the fact of just not having a body closer to Kelsey to disrupt him or have some sort of plan there. They just made it too easy, and uh, it was the most unbelievable 13 seconds I've ever seen. All right, so let's take a look back at the divisional round based upon a couple of different categories. And we begin with most impressive team. And let me go first because I need to get some of the Bengals fans off my ass. 
the Bengals were the most impressive team this weekend. I'm sorry that there were three epic games after yours. Your game was great, but it got upstaged by 49ers Packers, which got upstaged the next day by Rams Bucks, which got upstaged by Chiefs Bills. I'm sorry we didn't spend two hours yesterday talking only about your game. Lay off me, I'm starving. The Bengals were the most impressive team this weekend because of what they did. They had the biggest upset. They went into the lion's den. A Titans team that knows damn well how vulnerable the one seed can be because they beat the Ravens two years ago when they were the one seed. To go in there and pull off that victory was amazing, was impressive. They went 11,352 days between postseason wins and then seven days between postseason wins. That was impressive. A total team effort to advance. They were the most impressive team this weekend yeah, it was it was I, I think maybe what i look at is it was definitely the most surprising win you know where the other three games i felt like could go anyway right uh that one was the one i felt like now nah, i think tennessee just a little bit better of a football team and cincinnati it'll be close because hey i know they got good players and joe burrow but I, I really did think tennessee that was maybe the most shocking result uh, the other games, you're right, more theatrics, you know, shocking because one team had control and then the other one did, and it just was all over the place, but impressive. But here's one thing I will say about the Bengals, a little bit that scares me, all right? I've never seen a team go to the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl with the way they're with, with an offensive line that just got absolutely railed the way it did in divisional Saturday. That's that's what I that's one thing just that just jumps out to me. I've never seen a team win the Super Bowl or really go to the Super Bowl where an offensive line absolutely got steamrolled in a divisional round game and they still got there. That, 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 it's amazing they won the game off of that, and that's one of my concerns about them going forward. Uh, but either way, shocking, surprising, unbelievable win by the Bengals. You know what I'm going to go with here? I mean, we know the Bills and Chiefs played a, a good close game there. I, the, the most impressive team of the weekend when they were playing in their best was the Los Angeles Rams. I think that, to me, is the team I'm going to take. I am. Because when I saw everybody's A game on Saturday and Sunday, the Rams' A game was the one that jumped out the most to me. You know, And, again, I know they made mistakes and all that. And people can sit here and go, oh, the Bucks made mistakes. And I go, well, they made them make those mistakes. I don't know. I mean, we snapped the ball in the shotgun all the time. It wasn't like the center was like, oh, my gosh, it's the Bucks. I'm going to snap the ball 30 feet over my quarterback's head. You know, Cooper Cup fumbling the ball. I mean, he's caught the ball in the flat and got tackled like that 100 times this year. You know, so that's where I don't go, oh, my gosh, it was the Bucks. What unbelievable hits. Cam Akers, his two fumbles. You know, those are, those are standard protocol plays that way. But, man, the game plan from McVay on the offensive side of the ball, the Rams were never never overwhelmed. They really moved the ball whatever they wanted throughout the day. They protected Stafford, which I thought was a big question in the game. Stafford was phenomenal. The receivers were phenomenal. And of course, the defense of what they did and pressuring Brady and all that. Again, that's a game where I know it was a field goal to win it, but it could have been 40 to 10. It was very close to 40 to 10. It probably should have been 40 to 10, but I thought they were the most impressive team when I saw them at their best on this weekend, Mike. Well, and, you know, that bodes well for them moving forward if they can put it all together and yeah. finally finally get past the 49ers who have owned them in recent years. Best quarterback 
in the division around Chris. I'll let you go first on this one. Well, it's, I, we saw a lot of good play here. I mean, again, I, Matthew Stafford probably still not getting enough credit for the way he played in that football game. But I'm going to go with Josh Allen. I mean, it's Mahomes or Allen. That was almost perfection by either one. I'll go with Allen because I feel like – I, you know, I know they didn't win the game. I feel like he made more jaw-dropping plays. I feel like what I guess I look at is I go, I feel like he was under more pressure, and he made more with less maybe than Mahomes. And that, I'm listen to me, I'm not saying that lightly. Mahomes is magic. But I, I do think that Josh Allen had to deal with Chris Jones and Frank Clark and, and um, uh, Melvin Ingram more than Mahomes had to deal with people we can't really name that were getting pressure on him during the game because he didn't get a ton of pressure. He did a great job of buying time in the pocket and all that. But, man, Allen had so many plays where nobody opened or pressure, and he still made something happen. That's where I'll give him just a slight edge over Mahomes. Well, and Mahomes and Allen, obviously the best duel of the weekend. Allen gave us a glimpse of what he can be all the time. Yes, if that's right. If they can get the team around him where right. he can be that guy right. all the time. Not that I want to see him put his head down and run for a first down in week seven. Yeah, but yeah. But – if you know, we saw it last year, and remember all those people who were like, "Oh, he's going to regress this year," and then he kind of did, but it wasn't his fault. Right. What we saw on Sunday night was not regression by Josh Allen; it no. was ascension by Josh Allen, and it underscores the obligation of Brandon being the GM of the team, Sean McDermott the head coach of the team, to get the pieces around him. Don't just let it become Aaron Rodgers. And his band of merry men. That's it's right. It's got to be more like the Chiefs with the full complement of guys who can get it done and a defense that's good enough to make a stop in overtime of a playoff game so your guy can get onto the field unless and until they change the rules. you got to have a defense that can make a stop or you're never going to fulfill the potential of your quarterback. I, I, I want to give Matthew Stafford some love. Yeah, you good. Do him. it. Do it. Because, look – I think we judge performance relative to what we expected. I didn't expect much. I didn't know what to expect. He'd never played in that round before. And, uh, you know, here he comes with big throws in big spots, especially the one at the end of the game. When I And I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why in the hell the Buccaneers ran no, the all-out blitz. I don't get and, it and they talked about it yesterday. And, and the, the more they talk about it, the less sense it makes. They're better off just acting like it never happened and moving on because they can't explain their way out of this. And maybe the explanation is, we didn't have a whole lot of respect for Matthew Stafford, and we thought if we pressured him, he'd fumble it or he'd throw an interception, and we'd be able to get a field goal and win because if we went to overtime, uh, we weren't confident we were going to be able to keep him from scoring a touchdown if they won the coin toss. Maybe that's the explanation. We just thought we could get him to screw it up, it, and, yeah. and look at what happened. So relative to where we thought he was going to be, I didn't have a lot of faith. He, he was phenomenal, and he, in that one game, got the Rams beyond the level they had reached without him, justified the trade, and now positions them at home with the NFC Championship game to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did it, Mike. I mean, we got it. It's a guy that everybody's jumped on for no playoff wins and, you know, not playing big in big moments. And here we are two weeks in a row. He was clearly the best quarterback on the field in both football games. Really never made it one play during the, the during Sunday afternoon where you went, ooh, man, that he got lucky there. Oh, well, he was lucky. I mean, it really was a clean football game throughout. And he made a lot. Again, the other thing, too, that you know we preached it a little last week, even though it was only 17 pass attempts, it's the degree of difficulty of throws that are asked by him constantly. It's 50-yard post down the middle. It's whole 
shot down the right sideline for a 60-yard touchdown. It's crossing route 30 yards downfield. It's 20-yard out route. That's where I come away and go, that's where that's what he's added to this football team. It's you can run the Jared Goff offense, but now you got a guy who's got a laser at right arm and instead of having guys running short routes off these play action passes, they can send them deep and be dangerous and I'm glad you gave him credit, man. I really am. And you, you know what? Well, part of the reality of playing for a, a bad team and we don't get to watch a whole lot of Matthew Stafford in prime time and we haven't seen a lot good from his team around him. That's right. But he he's got flashes of Mahomes. He's got flashes. Oh, I know. He, I, yeah, the way he can no look, he can no look and sidearm and do all side that arm, stuff. Yeah. yeah. He was doing Mahomes stuff before Mahomes. He probably he, was wondering back in 2018, 2019, what's the big deal? I've been doing this for years. It's just they don't put our games on TV except for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I again, I know we've talked about it. He's one of the most gifted throwers in the history of football. And I bet you that he has thrown just as many no-look passes as Patrick Mahomes. He does it all the time, but you're right. It doesn't get the notoriety because he was up there in Detroit and nobody gave a damn, really. All right, best offensive player other than a quarterback from the divisional round. Well, like, since I'm picking – how do we not pick Gabe Davis, right? I guess I'll, I'll go there just to – because that's uh, an all-time game. I mean, what, what, that was insane. You know, Gabe Davis, really good player, second, third receiver for the Buffalo Bills, but – I mean, did you expect 200 yards and four touchdowns and him to just, you know, obliterate people like Jerry Rice's records in the playoffs and things like that? No, I just it was amazing to have that kind of performance. Certainly didn't expect him to be the guy that goes off in that football game. You, know, you can see there, there's Stefan Diggs. He was doubled on the bottom of the screen. So that led to some favorable matchups for Gabe Davis. And he took advantage. And of course, Allen was throwing the laser. So I got to give Gabe Davis some love. He was as surprised as the rest of us were after that play. That throw from the 17 to the 17. It was insane. That, 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 that was a low trajectory throw. Incredible. For him to catch those missiles that Allen was throwing. Because Gabe Davis had a bowl game with UCF a couple of years ago where he had a key drop and he really took it to heart and he doubled down on his effort to focus and and make catches and game of his life there so game of his uh, life great choice by you i'll go with cooper cup yeah i I don't know what more needs to be said than cooper cup uh i I don't know what more he needs to achieve for him to get doubled and tripled all the time and taken out of games i don't get a i don't get a whole lot of sense that they're trying to take him out of games that's not Cooper Cup. That is not the right video. They wanted to that show you the, the throw video. again. They wanted Here to show you. Yeah, All right. yeah. We We're just having fun. I'm not calling out the control. It happens. It happens. Trust me. If that's, if that's the biggest mistake I make, that's a damn good week for me. Here's Cooper Cup doing Cooper Cup things. Do you get the sense when you watch film that, that teams are really trying to take him away? In certain situations, third down, I don't think he's respected the way he should be. You know, I, I don't know. Not to the capacity of sometimes maybe like the way you see a team maybe cover Devontae Adams or even what, you know, again, I haven't watched the coaches film, maybe what the Chiefs did to Stephon Diggs. Third downs when he's in the slot, teams try to double him then because they know McVay has a play on where, hey, Cooper Cup can, he's got an option route where he can go three different directions. But I still think he's viewed and looked at it by defenders and they go, well, he's a system guy. He's just a white receiver. He can't really run by you. And listen, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be racist or anything. That's a real thing. Again, I mean, come on. 
So, yes, I do, do think that. And the one thing, Mike, that where I've seen Cooper Cup in person, that's where I think like defensive coordinators or DBs are dropping the ball. He's bigger than people realize. He's got some big square shoulders. He's 6'1 or 6'2. And his speed's real. That's where I, I, I don't understand when people start to go, well, you know, he's kind of a system guy or I don't know how dangerous he is. How many games do we need to see the guy catch 60 and 70-yard passes to where we go, he's kind of fast. And those fast guys on Tampa's defense couldn't catch him there. I mean, so he's legit. And, yes, to your point, I think he's slightly disrespected that way. I, I, I don't know what more a guy needs to do than nearly break the single-season receiving record for catches and yardage for people to put the red dot on him and game plan to stop him and take him away. Uh, maybe, maybe that'll happen this weekend with the 49ers. One guy I want to mention real quickly, just as we begin the process of transitioning to what is to come this weekend, Jamar Chase continues to show why he's so awesome. No doubt. Chiefs, Steve Spagnolo. Look, first of all, if you're watching this, you, you, you prepare to be numb on Monday because you aren't getting ready for the game. I would suggest handling Jamar Chase differently than you did in the regular season. Do you think? That's, that's all I'm saying. Just... Whatever you did that day in Cincinnati, do the opposite. Do something different against Jamar Chase, or it's going to be a long day for the Kansas City defense. Best defensive player in the division around Chris. Wow, there were so many good ones. There really was. I think the one that jumps out to me more than any other, though, in, in a losing effort, is Jeffrey Simmons of the Tennessee Titans. I, there was a stretch in that game where he was in the backfield every play of the game. I, where you just went, uh, you know, I, I, I think Ian Eagle at one point was just like, oh, my gosh, it's a highlight show for Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, it was like every play, you know, whether he got the sack or not, whatever. But, you know, F the playup stat, he was doing that, let alone collecting stats like you see right here. I mean, he's walking back the defensive tackles, I mean, uh, offensive guards uh, from the defensive tackle position. I mean, he's pushing them back right in the face of Joe Burrow, getting off blocks, stopping the run game. Uh, that is one of the stars of our game that is not a household variety name quite yet, but is in the conversation officially now with Aaron Donald and Chris Jones and those type of guys as far as the best defensive tackles in football. And, and eligible now for a second contract. Damn, cha-ching. Uh, quite possibly going to get paid a lot of money. I'll go with Aaron Donald just because he's the best player any game, anytime, anywhere, and his presence and, you know, the, the havoc he creates. And yes. He's always buzzing around right. the ball, and it makes it easier for Leonard Floyd and Von Miller to do their thing. And uh, he, he wants that Super Bowl championship, and he was there three years ago. And but what, a, what a team the Rams have. I mean, really, when we look at the four remaining teams, they are – they are the best team. Now, whether I, yeah. or not they'll deliver, right. we'll see. But they're the best team right now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're hungry. There's an edge about them. They even showed that edge in the Week 18 game when they were up 17 to nothing. Now, this is going to be a tough one this week. They're playing a team that's like them a little bit. You know, we've talked about it. Yeah, there's some studs. They're crazy. They fly around. You know, they're mirror images of their coaches, so they're psychos in a good way. I mean that. And, I mean, that was, that was phenomenal. The Rams, those studs, their stars showed up in that game. They did, period. I mean, Von Miller and Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald, they were around Brady the whole game. That was the biggest difference in the game. And that, that, that to me, was very special. And they'll have a chance to do that this week, too. 
You know, the 49ers offensive line on the right side, it's it's leaky a little bit. You saw Rashawn Gary dominate there last week. So that's where it's amazing. And, yeah, the Rams, uh, that, was, that was really, really an impressive performance by their defense and their whole team. Last subject very quickly, and Pete will cross off additional categories when we've gone on for too long, but I'm going to take uh, executive privilege here and add one more. Most unsung hero. And, and this is something I wrote about yesterday, and I, and I want your thoughts on this. Odell Beckham Jr. Because, because, look at what he's doing. Not, not with a lot of footballs thrown his way, but he's become the compliment to Cooper Cup. And, and, Packers could have had him, maybe. And how different things may have been Saturday uh, he, night. Yeah, he what, told me what, that it was down to the what, Packers what, and Rams what, what, when I interviewed him. Would they have, would they have maybe gotten that two-score lead? that they were unable to get. Right. We showed the Aaron Jones catch and run yesterday. If OBJ makes that catch, he's running That's to the house. end zone. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, if the Bucks had him. Now, I, and there was that flippant remark from Bruce Arians. Oh, we got enough. Too many letters. We got AB. We don't need OBJ. I, in hindsight, number one, you add him to your collection of great receivers as an insurance policy, and you keep him away from the Rams. You keep him away from any other team. It's kind of that dynamic why they kept A.B. They didn't want him to end up somewhere else. Maybe they should have grabbed OBJ while they could so he wouldn't end up somewhere else. And they had the ultimate, ultimate lure to get OBJ to Tampa, and that's Tom Brady. And you know what? I don't know. You know you, again, Tom Brady's never going to come out and say the things that bugged him about the 2021 season. We don't know whether or not. He was suggesting maybe they should go try to get OBJ and add him to the mix. All we know is they slammed the door on that quickly and they weren't interested. And the Rams are still playing and the Packers and the Bucks aren't. So yeah. I, I, we got to give oh, – Beckham has gotten to the point where he, if they do try to take away Cooper Cup, they're going to have to there, deal with him. He's there, no doubt. He opens the field up for them. He does. He opens it up for Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby. It makes it harder on defense. I think your point's real, and I'm glad you gave him some love. I am. He seems to be fitting in really well there. He did a good job of being a good guy in Cleveland until the end, until he wanted to get out of there. That's it. You know, I do feel like he gets a bad rap sometime. Good pick by you. Jordan Willis would be my unsung hero, the guy that blocked the punt for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I know we got to go to break. Well done. Well done. And one, one last thing about OBJ, and this is a credit to the Rams, that contract, I know, you the said incentives right. aren't tied to how many catches. They're tied to wins in the postseason. And so he gets more money every week the Rams advance. So he's got one incentive to be available to the team and to be all in to the effort to win. Let's take a break. When we return, the effort to find coaches continues. No one hired yet. We'll give you all the latest information about where the coaching carousel stands when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. All right, there are eight coaching vacancies still in the National Football League. I don't know when we're going to start being able to put X's over any of these. They continue to move forward. Now, two of the teams don't have general managers yet, the Vikings and the Bears, so that's probably job one, although it seems to be that the Bears and the Vikings are closing in on hiring a GM. The coaching hire would come after that, Chris. The Giants made their GM hire. That's the only job that's been filled. Let's start with the Broncos. They've moved on to their finalist phase they've got three guys that they're focused on Nathaniel Hackett Dan Quinn and of course the third name escapes me we talked about Hackett earlier Dan Quinn is a guy who's been tied to George Payton for a while I had forgotten this Mike Kliss of Nine News dusted off a story of ours from 2015 when Dan Quinn was a hot head coaching candidate emerging from the Seahawks tree the Pete Carroll tree Dan Quinn we had heard and reported at the time wanted to be paired up with George Payton somewhere. So may, maybe it's seven years later, George Payton and Dan Quinn get together. But I think that Nathaniel Hackett candidacy is strong because the possibility of Aaron Rodgers making it to Denver is strong as well. Well, yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting. You know, it's such a weird year. You got guys that are, yes, we look at it, it could be, oh, this could be the new young offensive genius, new young defensive genius. We got a lot of coaches who have had prior jobs and, you know, things went well, but maybe not great to where you can go, whoa, we get them in a better situation. Maybe things will be better. You know, so that's where it's a really interesting year. I don't think there's like a slam dunk one or two must hire type of guys. And then Hackett's interesting to me. You know that I'm a fan of it. You know, one, yes, I like his offense. I know what it's about. Certainly. I saw it in Jacksonville, like I explained earlier, to have the number six offense with Blake Borders. I would think it's only improved up there with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. Again, he's got history in developing young quarterbacks in in Bortles. Of course, being around Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers has spoke his praise so much. You got offensive talent in Denver. You don't have a quarterback right now to speak of. So now you got a guy that, like you said, can bring Aaron Rodgers, maybe, but also evaluate quarterbacks the right way to get things going. That's a team I look at to just go, it's offense and quarterback away from like being good. Their defense has got a lot of pieces in, the, in, in place there. So that's the one I look at that I get most excited about. Dan Quinn, 
that defense. Listen, I think Dan Quinn and that. I, I again, I respect what Dan Quinn. I think it, what what was done this year in Dallas is a little overrated in my opinion. I guess that's what I would say a little bit. That's how I feel. It's still the 21st ranked defense in football. They still had more penalties than any team in football. Their defense was a big part of that. It was man to man almost every play. Like whoa, like oh my gosh, whoa! You you coached them up to go that guy get that guy and that guy get that guy. Holy cow! I would have never thought of that idea. That's an amazing one. So that's where I don't get behind that all the way. Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive that's coordinator, the other one. Is the there other you go. Finalist. Right. Yes, I want to make sure he gets credit. But obviously, nothing can be done with him. He can get a second interview after the conference championship round. Can't get hired until the Rams are done. May not be available for a few more weeks. I, I I'm gonna say something I said last year, and this is not intended to be an affront toward Dan Quinn. I would not hire a defensive coach. I wouldn't do it. And Coach Dungy, I'm sorry. The, the way the game is now, the way the game is now, and the way the hires are made, and maybe it's changing. Maybe this year is the year it changes when everybody presses pause for multiple weeks. But I don't want to get a defensive coach, have my team instantly become great, and then have to go get a new offensive coordinator who's going to work with my most important player on my team. Because the better the team is, the more often your offensive coordinator is going to get hired somewhere else. So I want an offensive coach who's the one who has the main relationship with the quarterback. That's going to be the constant. We get our quarterback for 10 years. We got a coach for 10 years. Those two bind together. And I don't have to worry about defensive coach having to find a new offensive coordinator every other year to establish all over again the right relationship with our quarterback. I don't want that. I don't want that. It's a, it's a good discussion, Mike. I mean, you look at the 14 teams in the playoffs, there's only two that don't have it, or maybe three. I might be, I'm wrong, three. You, you, oh, well, four. The AFC's well, got a few. But you're right. The majority of teams, and you look successful-wise, there's a lot of that in place. It's definitely a good thought or interesting nonetheless. Look, look what's going to happen in Buffalo. Sean McDermott's a defensive guy. Brian Dayball, we're going to talk about that. He had an interview. Uh, he's, the Giants are going to have a second interview with Brian Dayball today. They interviewed Dan Quinn yesterday, but second interview with Brian Dayball today. There's a lot of steam that Dayball is going to be the guy in New York. Dayball leaves. Yeah, you hope that he's got, been grooming somebody there. You, you, hope, that you a, hope they got somebody ready to Ken go. You hope that Ken Dorsey's ready to go and be the OC. Ken Dorsey, I believe, is the quarterback's coach there. Maybe I'm wrong. He might be another position. I'm blanking on the – but, yeah, to your point, that's real. That's a real aspect you got to think about if you're an owner. And, yeah, he's – I would think out the door, certainly, and you hope that he's groomed somebody to understand that offense where Josh Allen doesn't miss a beat. Um, I love Dayball of the Giants. That, that's what I want to happen as a Giants fan – that's where I'm looking at it. You know, again, you know, it's a guy that, yeah, I believe in the offense. It's creative. And we talk about we're in the era of, like, quarterback whisperer or guy that can develop a quarterback. All, all anybody ever told me was Josh Allen can't – you can't work on accuracy. You can't improve those things. That's not possible. Oh, bull crap. So Brian Dayball, from that standpoint, top offense, creative, and what he did with Josh Allen, the unfixable prospect who's too raw, how could you not if you're the Giants? Daniel Jones with that, and then even if it's not Daniel Jones, you go, well, this guy's got a pretty good eye and knows how to develop young talent for the next guy we want to come in town. Uh, I I'm for that. You know, GM from the Bills, Dayball from the Bills, they know what it takes, they've been together. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Do you think that they could fix Daniel Jones? Do you think Dayball could fix him, or do you think they look somewhere else? Well, I, I do think he can fix him. I, I You know, D- Jones is one of the more interesting conversations. I understand we're all up in the air a little bit about what he's going to be. What I argue with Jones is it's just a little hard to figure out exactly what he can be with the crap team he was around. You know, that's where, uh, you know, in my perfect world, I'd like to see a little bit more with a team that could actually block and protect for him and, you know, people being open and there's a run game a little to see what he's capable of. I think that's still the million-dollar question. You know, we've seen some good. We still see some why you holding the ball and taking this hit and getting sacked, fumbled. There's still some of that that rears its ugly head. But, man, if there's one guy in football that I look like that could turn him around, Dayball would be one of those guys that would be at the top of the list um you know what i don't disagree with that and it just it, there's too much of that smoke out there that we're hearing that he's the guy you, you never know ultimately what's going to happen because ownership is involved and they're going to be making the final call i assume or at least making their final preference known to their new employee yeah joe shane the uh the general manager bears want second interviews with coach jim caldwell and dan quinn i don't understand how these these coaching searches can mature to this point without a general manager in place. I don't get it. Fine. Start the search, have your first interview, begin to gather candidates. But by the time you're doing second interview, shouldn't you have a general manager? Makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me. I mean, you've explained it a million times. I think your thought that you've talked about as far as you know, having a tandem here that comes in the door together and is on the same page is a real thing. It's a real thought in the NFL. I think a lot of people are aware of it, especially after some of the, the failures we've seen where it's been a mismatch. I don't understand that at all. How do you, I don't, I don't get that. So I, I don't know. Maybe they're just doing the reverse order. They're going to get the head coach and then ask him what GM he wants. Maybe that's what they're going to do there. That's, which, that's okay. a different structure. It than is what a the different Bears structure. You're right. It's a different structure. Either way, I'm not going to say it's a huge deal. It's a little awkward. But the, yeah, you just you know, again, you hire one head coach. He's going to cut off a certain amount of GMs because he's going to want. Wait, I like this guy because he makes sense for what I want to do, and he knows how to pick those type of players. And you're going to have to lean on that rather than you know, vice versa with what the Giants are doing. We got our GM. He knows the kind of coach that fit under the kind of players he wants to get so now he can do a few different interviews and figure it out from there I would prefer that way rather than let's pick the head coach and now figure out the GM for sure and this is simple organizational dynamics when it comes to accountability when it comes to minimizing the possibility of dysfunction the coach and the GM need to be a team remember the old three-legged race that they would do at picnics where you know you you tie one right leg to another person's left leg and you got to run that's what they need to be able to do it's a three-legged race with the coach and the gm because if you if one falls you both fall and if you win you both win you can't have a scenario like they had in miami where maybe Brian Flores thought there was an opening to make a run at Chris Greer. Maybe Chris Greer thought there was an opening, oh, and there was, to make a run at Brian Flores. You can't have that. You have to have coach and GM on the same page, whether it's GM hires the coach or they're both brought together simultaneously. And the bottom line is, and we've talked about this, Bill Polian's running the show there. So whatever they get, whatever they have, whether it works or whether it doesn't, Bill Polian will be off consulting with someone else. He's not there to be accountable for the decision 
that the Bears make at his behest. But he's the one who's making these calls, Chris. I've heard nothing to suggest that ownership is willing to go off the board. They have to justify all the praise they heaped on Bill Polian. Remember George McCaskey two weeks ago going on and on? So you're going to not do what Bill Polian wants you to do? Because I guarantee you, if they don't do what Bill Polian has recommended and it fails, Bill Polian will make sure people know oh, the Bears exactly. didn't do what he recommended. Know. Exactly right. No doubt. Yeah, I'm never a fan of this formula either. I'm not. You know, again, yes, you always see that it's always – you know, retreads or people that we have prior relationships with. That's where it seems to always go. Now, Caldwell, I got no problem with that. I mean, that's one of the most disrespected head coaches in the history of football. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, the guy did a great job in Detroit, you know, for what they had, what that team was. It was a really good job. I mean, look at the results from everybody else to this point. And they, they were at least relevant. I know the team was a little bit better. What he did with the Colts wasn't easy taking over that situation. You know, I, I don't get that, but I can get behind Jim Caldwell being a head coach again and being the head coach of the Bears. I certainly can. Jaguars moving closer to making their hire. Byron Leftwich will have a second interview. Obviously, he's available to be hired now that the Buccaneers season has ended. Bruce Arians uh, suggested yesterday that he may take over play calling duties if Leftwich goes. And, and this is one of those dot connectors that makes sense. He was a quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's familiarity there. He's, he's ready by all appearances. He's learned a lot working with Tom Brady. they got to fix their quarterback situation. they got to improve Trevor Lawrence. They need to have a good coach for him. That's their number one asset moving forward. And they need a coach who's going to take care of him. And, and uh uh, I get I get the feeling I get the feeling that that's the direction this is moving, but I haven't heard anything one way or the other. But anytime you start hearing second interview, yeah, second you know it's interview, a candidate. exactly right. Second interview, you know that you're you're in the finalist club, whether that's two, three guys, whatever. But when you get to that territory, you know the team is really thinking about it, and now it's like, wait, there's a few details we'd like to go over once again, and we just would like one more chance to be around you for the day and get to know you as a guy. That's when you know you got a chance. I understand Leftwich in Jacksonville. Like you said, it all matches up. You know, and one, the number one concern and priority has to be Trevor Lawrence, to your point. Uh, there was a stretch during the year where he was lost. Things were going the wrong direction. Really until the last game, the last six or seven weeks of the year were not good. So they got to protect that investment. We know he has big-time talent. Leftwich being around Bruce Arians, having been a top-ten pick himself or you know, first-round pick, and being around some other good offenses, he's going to know how to get Trevor Lawrence in the position of success. That's where I can get behind that for sure. Um, there still could be a ninth head coaching vacancy, and not just in Dallas, not in Dallas, uh, although the vacancy in Dallas could be filled by the guy who creates another vacancy in New Orleans. Uh-oh. Sean Payton. This is another one that came up out of the blue. It was a Sunday splash report on Monday. Saints owner Gail Benson gave some credence to the possibility that maybe we've seen the end of the road for Sean Payton in New Orleans. We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. No, Sean, we don't know. You know, who knows? <laughs> we'll find out soon enough, I guess. <laughs> I don't think any of us know, <laughs> but he'll let us know soon enough. Gail Benson seems strangely happy, almost giddy, about the possibility of losing her coach. I, as I said last night on PFTPM, I'll have what she's having. I mean, my God. She, I, 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 love, I love the outlook. I love the attitude. 
but it's a fairly serious subject. They haven't had a new coach in New Orleans since 2006 when they hired Sean Payton, and it came up over the weekend that he hasn't committed to returning to the team in 2022. There's talk about maybe him taking the seat at Fox if it's vacated by Troy Aikman, who could land with Amazon. Who knows how any of that's going to play out. Or maybe, just maybe, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that was going on behind the scenes a few years ago to try to get Sean Payton to Dallas. Order Playmakers now, and you'll see the full story, and it will blow your mind. Chris, you'll never read it. I was going to send you a copy. I've sent out advanced copies. I was going to send you one, but I know you won't read it. You won't even pick it up. You'll throw it in the corner, and your dog will urinate on it. That's why I didn't send you one. No, it's okay. You're right. I'm not going to read it. I might have like skimmed <laughs> through it though, and like looked at some blurbs here and there. But like to actually sit down and read it and page by page, no, no, I wouldn't do that. Nor would I let my dog pee on it. I wouldn't do that either. I wouldn't totally disrespect you that way. I am excited for your book though. I am, and you've you've talked about this a lot, and it does seem like something's going on here. I do. I wonder with Sean Payton. I just go, are we trying to make a move? To get out of town, or is it just become, hey, I'm a psycho head coach. I've been doing this for a long time, and I need a year off to regather myself and maybe a new start after that to go somewhere else. And even if he would take only one year yeah. as a broadcaster like Bruce Arians did, the Saints would be entitled to compensation yeah. when he returns to coaching. The, the, the Cardinals actually got – they didn't get much, but they got something for Bruce Arians when he went to the Buccaneers because the Cardinals kind of I'm not going to say ready nudged to move him. on right they they, they 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 didn't they didn't gnash teeth or you know uh or, or break glasses when when Bruce Arians left but they got a sixth round pick for the for the rights to Bruce Arians and they gave up a seventh round pick so they did a swap with the Bucks when that happened initially the NFL was not going to make the Buccaneers compensate the Cardinals, but you know the guy walks away with time left on his contract. There's there's an obligation there to compensate, and there's three years left on Sean Payton's contract. So if he would resurface down the road, I remember when Bill Cower, when there was a sense that Cower was going to spend a little time in TV and then come back, and then he decided, you know, this I'm just going to keep doing this. I know there were people in the Steelers organization that were saying, hey, if he comes back, we we deserve something because he was still under contract to us. So that would probably happen. That would likely, if not definitely, happen if he would come back at some point down the road. Or he could realize, hey, I, you know, I mean, that, that Tony Romo money is real. That, that, if you can get 18 to $20 million to just call football games and not be all-encompassing the way that it is to be a great coach, and Sean Payton is one of the ones who lives it every minute of the day, if you can get the same money or more money to have – no wins or losses hovering over your head. None of the various stressors and demands of being a head coach. That's that's a damn good gig if you can get it. And we don't. I mean, I think Peyton could be really good because he's not going to no be afraid doubt. to speak his mind. No, no, agreed. I mean, he could he could be you know like a John Gruden that way. He's animated. Gruden was afraid to speak his mind. Well, Gruden, Gruden, Gruden wasn't was, as good well, as he could Gruden have been. told you every coach in the history of football was the greatest coach he had ever seen. Even though you're like, wait, that guy's, that guy's going to be player. fired next week for how bad right. he's been. But you're going to tell me he's the Gruden, greatest. Gruden, yeah, and that, and that that's going to be the key for Sean Payton. Yeah, if, if Sean Payton does this. That if he's thinking about coming back, he's not going to be as good as he could be. Unless unless he's willing to say, I'm still 
perfectly content to speak my mind, even if I burn bridges. I'll deal with that later. I'm going to be myself, and I'm going to be authentic, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to be real. Gruden was never his real self. He never said what he really thought because he was afraid of burning bridges back to the teams that he would eventually work for, potentially. Yeah. That's why he was, wasn't was as good. He was good, but he could have been phenomenal well, if he yes. would have not been burdened by his desire to coach again. Well, I think, too, with Gruden, too, you know, he had realized he had a bad reputation around football, and he knew if he was going to be a, a head coach ever again, he needed some of these guys to want to work for him. So I think that's what was his way of repairing damages that way, too. He had burned a lot of bridges, and I think he was trying to, you know, put some concrete and some cables back up to go, wait, I might be a coach again, and I hope I can get somebody to work for me. Now, but with Sean Payton... I, I don't know. I, I just I get the sense first off that this is more about I'm a little burned out and I think I need a change. And I don't like as 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 much of a game changer as Romo and top announcer money is right now in the business, you're right, it is a game changer. I still look at Sean Payton a little bit like I do, you know, like a Gruden or even a Bruce Arians where even if the money was good from network television and being the announcer, yeah, I, I think he's still too addicted to being a coach, being the guy, coming up with game plans, right? I mean, we've both been around him a little bit. He's He is that mad scientist. And I think that, you know, control freak, which you got to be as a head coach, wants to run the organization, do all those type of things. I just can't imagine Sean Payton going too long without that. I can't. Um, yeah, I I feel like this is a reset. Like, wait, you know, my team in the Saints isn't get, is is getting older. Can I keep this going? We got a quarterback issue. I'm burnt out. I've been going here at this place for a long time. I, I I'm I'm thinking it's a a year off, recharge a little bit, and let me go somewhere else and start up a new you know chapter of my coaching life. Every coach who's won a Super Bowl is acutely aware of the fact that no coach in NFL history has won a Super Bowl with two different teams, and Sean Payton still has time to try to do that. But just like quarterbacks looking for great spots to land, coaches sometimes need to look for great spots where they can maybe take a team to the top of the mountain. Cliff Kingsbury has not yet taken the Arizona Cardinals to the top of the mountain, not even close. The owner of the team, Michael Bidwell, is upset. When we return, we'll break down what's happening with the Cardinals and what could happen next. More PFT Live right after this.
The Arizona Cardinals made the playoffs. Good news, bad news. They limped into the postseason, finishing one and four, and then lost, fueled in part by that Carson Wentz-ish moment from Kyler Murray where he should have just taken the sack, but he throws up the pick six. And that was the moment it was over. It was done. That was put a fork in the Cardinals. So do we put a fork in Cliff Kingsbury? It's been a strange week. There were conflicting reports. Finally, Michael Bidwell has spoken. Disappointing for everybody. We have high expectations. We need to play better. We had a lot of great success in 2021. I don't want to take away from that, but we can get better, and that's what we're working on now. I've had lots of internal discussions that I think have been productive and will improve the team. So it sounds like Cliff Kingsbury's not gone. Sounds Doesn't like, seem Cliff, like if, it. If he was going to get fired, he'd be gone by now. You can't, yeah. you can't take eight days to ponder the future of your coach unless you're Jerry Jones and you're you're, you're looking to get the two in the bush before you let go of a bird in the hand. I don't think Michael Bidwell would do that. He would just fire Cliff Kingsbury. Interesting angle, though, Chris, that that I, I got to be careful how I couch this, but but they have to be careful what they do with Cliff Kingsbury because his agent also represents Kyler Murray. And there's a chance if they would have fired Cliff Kingsbury, they would have had a big freaking problem with Kyler Murray. Big problem with Kyler Murray. And that's part of the game and there are plenty of agents that represent coaches in general and, and players and general managers and sometimes it lines up in a way that 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 agent's got some leverage because he pulls the strings and presses the buttons of your franchise quarterback you better be careful how you handle the head coach who's represented by the same guy yeah well i mean we we feel it feels like they're tied at the hip to a degree it has from the get-go i mean again this is cliff kingsbury coming from college you recruited kyler murray coming out of high school you know, we were one of the first to talk to Cliff Kingsbury when he became the head coach of the Cardinals and one of the first things he talked about. And I could tell that they were taking Kyler Murray. I remember having a conversation with him at the combine. I knew it by the look in his eye. He literally was like, he's a freak, isn't he? And his eyes got real big like it was the greatest thing he had ever seen. So, yes, there's history there. I would think Kyler Murray, of course, likes playing for, for Cliff Kingsbury. That's a guy he knows. He knows him personally. He understands his offense. So that's where it's a little delicate. I am glad they're staying with Cliff Kingsbury. I am happy about it. I understand them assessing the situation. I think that was totally you know, respectable or what you have to do. I mean, how can you not? you got an offensive coach where we've seen the offense fall apart at the end of the last two seasons and not look the way it should with the amount of talent they have. And, of course, they ended up in losing a lot of football games, five out of the last seven. I mean, de definitely one of the, the worst, you know, meltdowns towards the second half of the season at all of football when you talk about teams and everything that was to, to do with that. Uh, I get that, but I still think there was enough good to where you stay the course and you do give them another year and see if we can uh, – improve on that you know I think you do have to take into consideration there are a young team and they are in the toughest division of football that's for sure and at least they have become relevant here and in the playoff conversation and got to the playoffs this year so there is I think still more positives than negatives when you assess the situation all right let's go ahead and take a break but bottom line is it looks like Cliff Kingsbury will get another year He's entering the final year of his contract, though, so that's going to be a topic as well. Do they extend it? Do they let him coach it out as a lame duck? That used to be a complete no-no, but we, we see more and more occasions where a coach will indeed work the final year of his contract, and then they figure out what's going to happen after that. What happens after the break? We'll take a look at some of the worst things that happened at Division Round Weekend in place of, and Chris, I know you're upset about this, your favorite segment of the week, the the, the goats in a bad way. Draft. Yeah, thanks. We're actually not doing that Get today. it out of Instead, here. Instead, 
Instead, we're just going to look generally at some of the worst things that we saw in a weekend. We're just going to generally crap on people around the NFL. We won't live. draft them. We're just going to generally do it. Right after this. <laughs> they, they're not noticing. They're numb. <laughs> Because you guys, last year you talked about all the sacks we didn't have, and you guys somehow think that sacks lead to victories. They're great. We'll talk about how many we had this year, but I like turnovers and interceptions and cause fumbles. So maybe we'll talk. Maybe we had too many sacks this year. Oh, a little, a little salty, he's, Mike Frey. Well, salty. Hey, the, the only stat that matters is points scored versus points allowed determined on a per-game basis. And for the Titans on Saturday, they didn't score enough points. The Bengals did, and the Bengals advanced. So, the worst of divisional weekend. Let's start where we began with the best of the weekend, the most disappointing team out of the four that lost, Chris. I, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, I know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers weren't at full strength. I, I, I get that. You know, you're missing Godwin. You're missing Antonio Brown. I know Tristan Wirfs was out. Yes. But damn, still, there's there's still a ton of talent on that football team. I mean, Mike Evans is not chop liver. Gronkowski's not chop liver. The rest of those linemen are good. That running back's good. Their defense was healthy for the most part. I think everybody was out there except for one guy. That that to me was the most disappointing thing. Again, I think you, you look at that. They were just outplayed. They were out hit. They were out coached. That game was so misleading. It was 30 to 27, but I, it was this close and should have been 40 to 10, 40 to 13, somewhere in there. To me, that was the team that I thought came out and laid the egg. I know they were fortunate to get back in it and certainly got Brady and respect all that, but I would have expected a better performance, just a better look overall uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to say it's the Green Bay Packers, and it's not just because of this year. It's this continuation, squandering the number one seed for yeah. two years in a row, not even getting to the NFC Championship as the one seed this year. The stat that I love, the stat that's amazed me, it's left me even a little numb, 14-0 and were the Packers at home in the postseason through 2001. As of 2002, 7-7, seven and seven, starting with the loss to Mike Vick and the Falcons in the wild card round, they have gone from being invincible to, to mediocre at home in the postseason and 20 years of that is the end of Brett Favre and all of Aaron Rodgers from the loss to the Giants 10 years ago uh, in the divisional round last I mean they've been one seed at least three times and they haven't used the one seed to get to the playoffs worst quarterback performance from the divisional round that's easy uh, it's Ryan Tannehill I mean, that, that's, you know, that's probably why Vrabel's sitting there salty. He's going, man, if my quarterback doesn't come out and think he's, you know, Brett Favre trying to laser balls into tight windows, we're, we're, we're going to win the football game. Or we can win the game, you know, 20-16, to 17-14. Uh, but just to come out the gate just like this, Ryan Tannehill, not, first off, to not have a feel for what the game was and what it is and to know, hey, we're a defensive team that doesn't blow people out. You can get this interception there. Okay. I mean, I'm not mad at Ryan Tannehill there. That's a great play by Mike Hilton. He's really good. But the first interception and then this interception here on a third and five with a little over 20 seconds left around midfield, the only way you certainly lose the game right there is to do exactly what you did right there. So Tannehill, a guy I've defended a lot, and I know people jump on him, but how can you not? You know, how can you not jump on him? That, he is certainly, uh, to me, the reason the Titans lost. 
Is it him or is it the play caller, though? Because those plays shouldn't have been called. None of the three that became interceptions should have been called. I don't like the let's get cute with play action pass right out of the gates unless you're going for the home run shot. Why are you doing play action to Derrick Henry? Hey, Derrick Henry's back. He's missed nine games. Oop, fake. Oop, psych. We're not going to run it with Derrick Henry. We're just going to throw it 15 yards down the field instead. I didn't like that. I didn't like that short pass after they had the long run that set them up. And uh, and at the end of the game, what are you doing calling that pass? Just just take it to overtime. What, what good is going to come out of throwing the ball into traffic like that? Nothing. Obviously, they gave the ball back to the Bengals, and the Bengals had enough time to get in position to win the game. You know, I'm looking at, and I tried to pull up the stats for all of the quarterbacks because I did say of the four teams that lost, but Jimmy Garoppolo – at 131 passing yards, one interception, a rating of 57.1. Um, I'm yeah, going to say mean, Garoppolo. Yeah. I, look, because yeah. the fact that they won makes it more glaring. How did they win right. with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback? Right. And, you know, one thing we didn't really talk about all the way back in segment one, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. If the 49ers don't win the Super Bowl, how do you not at least consider the possibility of a bridge year with one of those two guys while you continue to get Trey Lance ready, whether it's Brady or whether it's Rodgers? And we know they tried to get Rodgers the night before the draft. They tried. So I, I, I just, it's, this is amazing to me. This is a storyline that I think should be more significant in a quarterback driven league. You've got a Final Four team whose quarterback is their biggest offensive liability. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing. It just tells you the quality of the football team and what they got there. They are they're a Super Bowl team with a quarterback that's really around the top 20 in football. Not top not even 10, top 20. Really not. not top You're 20. right. You're right. Between 20 and you 25. Know? And again, you know, this is where, again, context matters. I mean, things will go down and five years ago, people, five years from now, people will make fun of Aaron Rodgers and they go, he lost to Jimmy Garoppolo twice in the playoffs. I'm going to go, the, the 49ers literally in both playoff games tried to hide him and get him off the field and put him by the hot dog stand if they could have. And they still won the game. So it's like we always boil it down to quarterback, quarterback. But, I mean, you're right. And the interception he played in the game, I mean, threw in the game, holy crap. I mean, was there – that might have took the cake as the dumbest interception of the weekend right there. I mean, it was. You finally drive down the field. You're close to the end zone. You scramble and throw a ball off your back leg 25 yards down the field. That was uh, not a good one. It's, it's continuing what you've always said. It's scary, and they try to manage the game around them. When you least expect it, expect it. When you most expect it, expect it. Either way, expect it when it comes to Jimmy G. And think about this. Take those two playoff games. Flip Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy G. The final score is 53-10. to 10 and That's where I wish games. people would realize some of that stuff sometimes. It's just, it's just not always about the quarterback. And I appreciate you saying that. That's a good job by you. We'll take a break. More PFT Live right after this. All right, we're having so much fun reveling in some of the worst of the weekend. Let's continue it right up until the top of the hour. And let's do the worst coaching decision because, you know what, there are several questionable decisions made by coaches in the weekend that has led to those coaches now being numb. Maybe if they had been more prepared, they would not be currently numb. Give me the one coaching decision that stands out for you. Well, you lead it off. Go ahead. It's a no-brainer. What are you doing with the all-out blitz? That's what got Greg Williams fired by the Jets. What are you doing, Bruce Arians, allowing an all-out blitz of Matthew Stafford? I know that they were presumably trying to rattle him, thinking maybe he'd make a mistake, fumble the ball, throw it the wrong way, pick six, whatever. But that that all-out blitz between the decision 
the execution, the communication. That's it. That's a disaster. Tom Brady's got to be livid about that the more he thinks about it. He led that team back from 27-3, and his head coach and defensive coordinator handed the game to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, listen, I don't get it either. I think it's probably would take the cake for me too. If you made me pick one, I would probably go with that one. I don't get it. Again, first off, it's Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. You're not going to catch them off guard or not have a plan for the all-out blitz. They're pretty smart guys. You know, I know Bruce Arians talked about one guy didn't blitz. It didn't matter. There was free guys coming. Stafford knew it. He was floating back. He threw it off his back foot. I don't get that. And then you leave Antoine Winfield, a safety one-on-one with the best receiver in football this year. Uh, I'm with you there. I think the only other one I can look at to that maybe rivals it is just maybe not the sky kick or the squib kick, you know, by Sean McDermott and the Bills in that game. That's the only one. And I don't, I'm not a fan Un- of the squib. Unless Tyreek Hill return it for a touchdown. Well, that's the thing you have to worry about, too. And that's why yeah. we don't have enough time to discuss this because we're ending the show. But maybe we'll hit it tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah. We'll see you then. Tune see you. Find out. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.